0: Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. You know what I really like about God and one thing I've been recognizing about His power in my life is that when I wasn't like Him and when I wasn't capable of being his champion in different moments, he stopped and he healed me. And he, he stopped and he, he he took time with me. Uh, and that's that's been so meaningful to my life that when I wasn't capable, he took time to heal me, to repair me, to be present with me. The Bible says God's close to the brokenhearted. And, uh, and in a moment we're gonna receive the, the Lord's tithe as an offering, but there's something that I've been wanting to practice a little bit more intentionally in community. And I want to start today, and, it, and it's bringing a testimony or a witness about what God's been doing in my life or others' lives in a time of giving. For several years now, as a pastor here, I've focused on uh, what does it look like to be blessed by God, not just financially, but in all ways. And so I've prayed and I've communicated about that. And if you've ever wondered what it means to be blessed by God, it's, it's in the cycle of agricultural, it's the rain. It's the thing you can't determine, but that God can do in your life. And it's super important to growth. And so when you study out what it looks like really to be blessed by God, it's the rain. It's not the sowing of the seeds, not the working of the ground. It's not the effort to go get the harvest, but that the blessing of God is symbolized in the rain. It's so critical to growth, and it's so beautiful, and something that we ask God for that he'd bless us. But now I really believe that it's important for us as a community to practice having a witness about what God's been doing in our life. Uh, He is really faithful. He's amazing. In the first service, we were doing some stuff in worship where um, as we started to talk about God is good, uh, we started to move into forgiving others. We started getting into witnessing about that. And this is something that when you're expecting something from God or asking Him, we get the pleasure and the honor of actually witnessing Him do it. And that's really amazing about God is that he does a God work in our life. And that is not something we earned, but that is something we are blessed by. And I wanted to share with you guys just a little bit before we give of what um, I thought was an important an important part of my story or testimony to share, which is it's the story of Jess and I, which I've told you a little bit about, but I only want to take about a minute or so here and tell you what I saw as a real witness about God in my life, and that when I was a teenager, I, uh, I did not operate so well in purity and holiness, and so I uh, had sex before marriage, and I uh, had an addiction to pornography, and when uh, I grew up in church, right, so I got saved a bunch of times, right? <laughs> but when I was about 18 years old, I encountered God to the point that I, I truly and authentically uh, gave my life to God for the rest of my life. And I experienced a calling of consecration and holiness with God that I just deeply love and got impacted by. And it began to purify me. It began to redeem me. And uh, and in this journey, I thought it was so amazing because, you know, that's about the time that Jess and I started dating was after that. I'd met her in junior high, eighth grade, but she was way out of my league. And so later on, you know, 18 years old, she had walked with the Lord in a place of purity, and it was really, really amazing to hear about her story, and then I shared my story, which was not nearly as glamorous in that regard. So we end up getting married, and you may or may not have ever seen me uh, wearing this you know, black chain with a little ring on it. Uh, It's a purity ring. So when we're on the plane to Hawaii to our honeymoon, um, she just gives me this card and a ring in it. And the card was something she had bought before she was dating me. And it was describing a man, you know. Uh, and, And it was, she wasn't dating me, but it perfectly described me. And it was something that she's like, this is, you know, this is, I really want this to be my husband. It was something in her heart. And she could tell you some other time about how she experienced that card. But, you know, she's like, she gives it to me, and it describes me, guys. It was amazing. And then there's this little ring in there, and I pull it out, and it's her purity ring that she walked with and she had up until the point that we got married. And she gives it to me on a plane. And I'm sitting, I think, in the middle. And she's sitting on the aisle. And there's some other dude sitting on my right. She gives me this ring and this card. And I start bawling on the airplane for a long period of time, an awkward period of time, for the window guy. Poor guy, man. He's like, why, God? Why, God? It was a fulfillment of my prayers, but it was absolutely his nightmare. And, and I'm weeping and I'm crying because in, 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 in terms of what God did in my life of recovering and redeeming my purity, it was the final chapter and it was the culminating moment of God saying, I've recovered your purity entirely. And so my journey with the Lord and my journey to commit to a walk with the Lord had what I believe to be an incredible blessing and a reward of a marriage with my wonderful wife, Jessica, who loves God, like really loves God, guys. Not because I love God and I'm a pastor, but she really loves God. And this was critical for me because when we came here to be the, well, we weren't really committed to being the pastors, actually. The guy that pastored before me, Tim Roberson, really amazing, amazing pastor. Actually, I followed him into every ministry I ever did. And he transitioned. He's such a good, such a good man, such a good pastor. He's pastoring somewhere else now south. I can't remember where. Tennessee, something like that. But yeah, I know. It sounds bad that I don't know, but good man. And when he left and he said, hey, I feel like you're the guy And Jess and I, we prayed about it, and I preached for a few weeks not being the pastor. I said, hey, guys, this is something that we got to decide together because I was persuaded and convinced that I did not want to say yes to God while my wife said yes only because I said yes. And so the two of us took time together to really pray on it and say, okay, God, is this what you want for our life, and is this what we want to do? And it's something that we said yes to together as partners, as people that really loved God and really loved people. So my, my witness about God today is that he made me pure, he redeemed me, and he put me together with a partner that was in that same place. So I'm really, really grateful to God. And I wanted to pray for you guys today before we give. And actually, you guys can come forward with the buckets and what I want to pray for today is, is God is doing something in your life, period. You may not be aware of it, but He is absolutely at work in your life. So, what I wanted to pray today is that God would open our eyes to witness what He's doing in our life. So, I'm going to pray for you before you give. I love you guys. So, Jesus, I pray for this church family that you would open our eyes to how good you truly are and the work you're doing in our life. Holy Spirit, you're so faithful to author. You're so faithful to pursue us. You're so faithful to work a good thing in our life. And so I just pray right now a blessing over this family. I pray an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their life, the goodness of God and the grace of God. We're so grateful to you. We're so, so grateful. And open our eyes to see just how good you are in our life. Just how loving, just how gracious, just how merciful, just how perfect you are in our life. Really love you, Father. Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, thank you so much for your giving. Um, Today I'm going to be preaching on power. And I just wanted to remind you, everything we do in this place is love for Jesus or love for people can be seen in one of those two places. We are actually gathering this Friday to party together as a church family at Tregana Hills for the summer bash. Uh, celebrating community and family and this beautiful country we live in, America. So I want to invite you to that. It's June 30th, or um, not June 30th. uh, No, it is June 30th, this Friday. So come on out, bring your family, bring friends, bring bring a side. We've got the burgers and dogs, and it's going to be a good time. I think there's going to be a climbing wall there and some fun stuff. So Jess wanted the climbing wall, and so I said, okay, baby, that sounds good, let's get you a climbing wall. And uh, so it's going to be fun. lots of good stuff, lots of good times. And that's in a love people' space, and we're also dedicating babies. There's a youth event. There's a lot of things to get plugged into and love people in. Find that stuff in the lobby. You're really amazing. I'm going to jump into the word. Um, Colossians 1, 9 through 14 is where we're going to be today. Uh, we're going to be talking about power. And um, got a little bit of time here. It's 12 o'clock. So we're going to be talking about power today and um, there's a few different ways people think about power when they first hear power. For some, it's a positional uh, expression. It's a president, it's a boss, it's, it's a pastor, and there's, there's power in that position. For others, it's a, it's a charisma or it's a charm or it's a personality that they, uh, that they experience from somebody. Maybe it's an A-type personality. A dominant person can be seen as powerful. So there's a lot of different ways we can measure power and see power, but today we're gonna study scripture to understand exactly what the dynamic of power looks like in uh, our lives as believers, as Christians. And uh, it's good to be aware of how we experience power as human beings, but what is the chief most important and significant recognition is the power of God at work in our lives and how we relate to that power, how we relate to ourselves as a result of that power. So Acts 1.8 sets a tone for us and it says but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So Acts 1:8 sets a tone that power as believers the important kind of power actually comes from our relationship with God. It comes from the residency of receiving God and God living in us. And so at that point we actually are recognizing that we're hosting an incredible power force. Uh, an incredible power of God, uh, which is all-powerful, which created the heavens and the earth. And so it is a little daunting. It is a little bit wow factor when you recognize just what you are hosting in your life. But it's important to recognize. It's important to recognize how powerful God is and that when it comes to our lives, we are actually hosting a powerful God in our life. So that power dynamic actually begins to become clearer to us that the power we wanna function in is God's, which also means we wanna function in his character. It's not good to separate the power of God from the character of God. So when you ask God to do something in your life, understand you're interacting with a God that has a character, not just a power supply. He's not a battery, you might say, right? Just like he's a power supply. Uh, to where you could just use the power for whatever uh, your will is, it's actually incredibly critical that you understand that the power of God is in harmony with His character. And this is going to be important because as we read Colossians one 9 we we'll see, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a story arc this is! Isn't this incredible? Like when I watch The Return of the King or one of those Lord of the Rings, the story arc there, which my li- wife loves, Lord of the Rings, it's an incredible story arc. And when I read this chapter and paragraph here, it's like this is a story arc that is powerful, that is amazing. And I want you to actually see where it starts. This story of power starts with Paul saying, Hey, I'm praying for you without ceasing. Without ceasing. And what is he praying for? He's praying that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So here's an interesting thing about our sanctification journey. We accept the Lord and all of a sudden we realize salvation is not by works. It's a gift of God that's amazing and beautiful. And then we see that he kicks us into a sanctification process which means that the power of God begins to be applied to my life such that I stop behaving like me and I begin to behave like Him. This is the most amazing part of God's power in our life is that it takes us, a human being, and it makes us like Him. This is, this is an incredible, important revelation about power. God's power is so beautifully recognized when we see that when it interacts with us, it changes our form. And when it changes our form, this is a really interesting effect because I think many times as human beings, we buy into this perpetuity of humans. We buy into this idea that old dogs can't learn new tricks. We buy into this idea that, ah, you know what? That's just kind of how they are, and that's that. And if we're not careful, we begin to really get into this spot where it's just like, "Eh, this is kind of how it goes. And we also get to the place sometimes where we're like, well, this is just how I am. Uh, And we buy into this not-changing life narrative. Like, this is a fixed reality in a fixed form. So I just got to figure out how to do the least amount of damage in my current form. So this is not the biblical narrative. And I hope it's clear and I hope it's seen that Paul says, look, I'm praying without ceasing. And the reason he has to pray without ceasing is because when it comes to things of sanctification, when it comes to things of transformation, like the truly nitty gritty of our life, it actually takes an unrelenting mindset to get there. Now, you're not earning transformation, but you have a power of your own and your power is the power of choice. So when you and I exercise our choice, this is our power. And so when we choose to pray, and to lean in and to press into the Lord without ceasing in a conviction way, in a strong belief way. What we're doing is that we're setting our will to such that we want to receive the will of God. Not our own tendencies, our own patterns, our own brokenness, or our own bondage. And this requires intention. This, inc- this requires a prayer life that says, I'm not going to relent to my former ways. I'm not going to relent to my flesh capacities. I'm not going to relent to my generational curses that I've seen in my family. And so all of a sudden, what you begin to do is you begin to interact with God in a way that is incredibly powerful. And it's not your power we're talking about. This isn't the power of your gift either. So it's just important that we recognize that there's a power of God that we must inherit, that we must say yes to, we must choose above our own power. So it's our life for His life. So when you and I live our Christian life only through the medium of our giftedness, we're not living out the fullness of God's purpose. And what, it means, what that means is that if you are only like God in the ways you have been gifted to be like God, because when Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to men, and the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And another translation would say that they're without repentance, which means that there's a part of you that can act like God without God. See, this is your gifted part, right? Right? But this is not the fullness of God. The fullness of God for you is that all of your character would be like him, not just a part of your character that is gifted to be like him. So like, a, you know, a gift of faith, just it comes easy to believe and have faith. Like boom, 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 boom. But perhaps the gift of faith struggles to express these other parts of God, right? And so what God is saying and what the, Paul is saying in this is he's, he's praying without ceasing. And this is the same conviction we should carry. It's the same posture we should carry. Because when it comes to us being like God, not just in our giftedness, but in all ways producing every good work, it requires us to take our power of choice And choose his will, not ours, every single day without ceasing. So the prayer begins, okay, God, I want to be filled with the knowledge of your will. Filled with the knowledge of your will. And filled with the knowledge of your will. And I just, God, fill me with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Fill me with the knowledge of your will. And hey, it doesn't get repetitive because you know what becomes really natural to us is our own will. That's not something that I need to have repetitiveness on for me to produce, for me to want. I got a will. I know what it wants. I've got emotions. I've got desires. I know what they want. And a lot of times they are not the will of God. So between God and I, between you and God, you are interacting with him on the level of will. And it's okay if your will is crummy and wants terrible things. It's okay that you recognize that, because you're going to exchange your will anyways. So even if your will before the Lord is the nastiest of wills, it's the worst of wills. It's like Paul, chief of sinners, murderer, hateful. Even if your will is starting off on the worst of places, it's the foulest of sinners. Desires the worst of things. What does it matter what your old man is when you're going to exchange it for the new man? What does it matter when you consider the fact that this is redemption by his blood, not redemption by how good of a life you've had and how good of mentors you've had, or teachers or fathers and mothers? You might look at somebody across the row and be like, they had a really good life, and they started off way further ahead than I did, so that's why they're good the way they're good. But when it comes to us partnering with God, and when it comes to this place of power in our life, we begin to be persuaded that the power of God in our life is greater than every one of our tendencies, every one of our sin patterns, every one of our generational curses. And in psychology, they would say you are a product of either your nature or your nurture, that which is your environment that raised you, or your DNA tendencies. You could probably recognize that you have some DNA tendencies. You could probably find it in your dad or your mom and your your grandma and your grandpa and maybe some uncles. And when you could look back and see down your bloodline, there's a few things going on there. That's what you would consider DNA tendencies. That's nature stuff. That's stuff that you were born with. And we have some propensities inside of us that we were born with. I had a propensity. My propensity was to addictive things. I didn't experience the same kind of addiction that some of my family experienced, but nonetheless, I saw it in my family line. And this is why I never touched drugs or alcohol, because I was positive that it would take my life. I was positive that I would never stop it, so I never touched it. Because I knew that I had an addictive tendency inside of me, and I saw it in my generational line. So when you recognize these generational patterns, you can probably recognize yours. Maybe you come from a family of liars. They just love lying. You know what I mean? They love stealing. They love taking stuff. Like you might come from a line of people that are liars and stealers and thieves, I should say. You might come from a line of murderers, people that have outrageous uh, outrageous bursts of violence and anger. I don't know the line you came from. I don't know what their generational expressions are. And I don't know what you've received. But I can tell you this, that the power of God is capable of reforming you to overcoming those generational tendencies. It's capable. It's possible. It's deep transformation work. This really is not the easiest thing, right? This is the stuff that you actually have to, without ceasing, pray that God's will would be filled inside of you and you forfeit your will every single day. Submit to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I often quote this to you as the uh, almost phase or step process that you've got to recognize about transformation. If you want victory over the enemy and the enemy inside of you, then you must first learn to submit to God. Submit to God comes first. It's not resist the devil, he flees from you, and then you get to submit to God because now you're free. No, you get the choice to submit even when you're not free. And then he, and then he gives you the ability to be free. Small examples on this. There's been people that it's been so hard to forgive. I actually needed God's power in order for me to learn to forgive that person. See, what's interesting is by your own power, you cannot be like God. You and I require the power of God to be like God. So by your power, you could just be you. You power produces you things. God's power produces God's will, his character, his nature. So when you're reading this, you see spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, for ple- fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work. Not partial good work. Not just the good work you learn from your family. Not just the good work from your giftedness. Not just the good work that's convenient. In every good work. This is what the power of God produces in our life, is the ability to produce good work. So a little litmus test. Is the power of God present in your life? It's a good question to ask, always. Always a good question to ask. Is the power of God at work in my life? Well, if it is, you ought to be able to track, map, discern how God's power is reforming you. It doesn't have to be that you're done, that you've figured it out, that you're perfect and you've already attained. That's not what I'm talking about. But you should be able to go, God's work is, power is present in my life and I can see it operate here, 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 and here. And if you can't see what God's doing in your life, first and foremost, he is trying to do something in your life. He is. He is. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's effort has very clearly always been before we were partnering with Him. Always. Even before we were born, God was already partnering with us. He was already making things available to us in our life. Yes, our choice is our power, so it sometimes precludes us or excludes us from being able to receive His transformation. Our choice is powerful it can literally stop the transformative power of God. That's powerful, that's daunting, that's terrifying. We all love God in this place. We just spent 45 or so minutes worshiping that God which we love. And then when you realize that you, in in the power you have at times, reject the will of God, reject the work of God in your life, that could be incredibly humbling. That could be incredibly shame-inducing if you, if you respond to conviction in a condemning way. But when God allows you to recognize the disparity between who you are and who you is, who he is, I <laughs> was perfect up to that point in my life. Shucks, man who he is, when you see that disparity, it's it's not a revelation that's supposed to lead you to condemnation. It's not. And so when you hear that you're actually not fully pleasing to him, oh, that could be crushing to some people. They're like, huh? I'm not fully pleasing to God right now? I thought he loved me. He does. His love's unconditional. Unconditional. But your behavior can be saddening to God. It can grieve the Holy Spirit the Bible talks about. So when you are in relationship with God, there's plenty of moments where you're going to make him sad. Plenty. Plenty of moments when you step into sin, you operate in it, and sometimes we do it willfully. We're like, this is what I want. Eyes closed. Let's go for it. This is what I want. God's will be done. Maybe tomorrow. I'll pick it up tomorrow where I left off or wherever I get to. So this can be incredibly displeasing to God, but this can be a little confusing because sometimes we translate, it's not pleasing to God to that he's left me or doesn't love me. Don't let the enemy lie to you about this scripture. Don't let him lie to you and rob that connection of love that is irrevocable. It's immovable. God loves you without condition. His perfect love is always present, always there, never failing. That's a biblical fact. Now when it comes to your transformation, when it comes to your behavior, there's things that will make God sad, there's things that will make God excited and and celebrate in your recognition of his power in your life to overcome sin, to overcome the patterns of sin that have kept you bound in the past. Being strengthened with all power. Strengthened, which means strength grows when God's power is present in your life. Your strength grows. Through your maturity process as a believer and a Christian, you should see that God did it But that you grew stronger as a result of his power. Sometimes we call this maturity. Sometimes we call this being strong in the Lord. Uh, So we can call it different things, but it is a real effect that when God's power visits me to the place of transformation and overcoming, I actually become stronger. My character becomes stronger. So there's things that I used to have to contend and to pray and without ceasing that God would do it in my life in order for me to walk in that. And now there's things that I just am strong in the Lord in and I don't really need to pray without ceasing to produce. So I don't really need to pray like God help me not lie today. Right? Like, this isn't something I just I need to pray on. It's something I labored in. It's something that that God worked on me in, and it got to a place where truth. I grew strong to the point where I speak truthfully. That's my effort. So there's things that the Lord will strengthen you in, which means it doesn't matter how weak, feeble, and insignificant you are when He finds you. Sometimes this is real discouraging, right? is that when we talk about power, some of us as Christians still think of ourselves as very, very tiny and very little and very weak. And this is not an accurate identity in God, right? We're sons and daughters, which means something, right? It means something to be a son and daughter of God. And so when you're a Christian, you believe yourself to be weak and insignificant, and you're very insecure. It's important that you receive the power of God to the point where you get strengthened, And you no longer see yourself as weak, insignificant, can't stand up to evil, can't stand. It's important that you begin to see yourself differently. And it's not just for the a type personalities that they have strength. It's not a personality expression. It's an actual attribute of God inside of you that changes the very fabric of who you are. So if you've been told all your life, you stink, you're a loser, you're the worst, even if they were right. Even if they were right, and you really are the worst, and you stink, and you're a loser, and you've never done anything good, even if they were right, which they're not, but even if they were, God's power doesn't care. So he could take the chief of sinners, he could take the most wretched, and it does not intimidate His power or ability to transform that person. So God's blood is greater than the worst of people. So His redemption power is greater than the scum of the earth. It's greater than if you were the scum of the earth. If you come to the Lord in sincerity, His power, His blood can change your character even if you truly are the most wretched among us. That's pretty fun. That's pretty cool. I think this actually might even change the way we approach others. So maybe, just maybe, the worst amongst us, we lose our patience with, we lose our ability to long suffer. Just maybe though, God is inviting us to be so powerful in him that we can long suffer to the degree he long suffers with people. So he was patient with me in sin. He was patient with me as I caused damage in my sin. And he continued to pursue me. He continued to to have an effort towards me. He continued that. That really does humble me because when I start to think about how I operate with others, even though sometimes I think I'm really awesome and I do a good job and I pursue maybe longer than most do, even then I fall wildly short of God's nature and his character in long-suffering and pursuit of others. So God, even in that, transform me, right? Even in that, transform me, God not my will, not my comfort, not my emotional pleasure or emotional convenience, but God, even in that, transform me. There's places of my marriage as, as, a, as a husband, I just go, whoa, I'm kind of selfish. God, transform me. There's, there's part of my flesh that that part of my flesh would lead me to be a poor husband. So God, not my will even though I emotionally want that. As a father, same thing. There's parts of me that I want to exchange for the will of heavenly father because that part of me, it's not a good father. So God, not my will, not my will. I want a, I want a beautiful exchange here, Lord. Beauty for ashes. It's a really unfair exchange rate for you, God, but I'm so grateful that that's your standard. Is that you accept my ashes, I get your beauty. The decay of my life, this thing's down in flames. So when you begin to understand, when I begin to understand and begin to partner with the fact that this power in our life is, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God in our life and it's, it's got a character to it It's got an agenda to it for sure. The agenda is freedom. The agenda is purity. The agenda is being white as snow. It's got an agenda. We ought not think that God does not have an agenda. He has an agenda. It's a good agenda, it's perfect, it's for our benefit, it's perfectly loving. So, His agenda could be trusted, but nonetheless, He has a plan for our life. That's an agenda. It can be trusted because he's always good. It can be trusted because he's wiser than we are. His ways are above our ways. It can be trusted. That's what Lisa was saying so well. It's like God can be trusted because he's trustworthy, perfectly trustworthy. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.